Good evening. A raid by the FBI at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, a ceasefire for Gaza after Israeli jets kill 15 children, the legacy of radiation 77 years after the A-bomb, and another busload of migrants from Texas arrives in New York City. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the News in Exile for Monday, August 8th, 2022. Donald Trump announced to the world today the Federal Bureau of Investigation is conducting a search of his Mar-a-Lago estate. The reason isn't known. The Department of Justice has no comment. Trump said in his statement, after working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. The Justice Department has been investigating the discovery of boxes of records containing classified information that were taken to Mar-a-Lago after Trump's presidency had concluded. That matter was referred to the Justice Department by the National Archives and Records Administration, which said it had found classified materials in 15 boxes at the residence. It wasn't clear whether the FBI search was connected to that probe. Israel and the Palestinian armed group Islamic Jihad declared a truce late yesterday after three days of heavy Israeli bombardment on the besieged Gaza Strip. Despite a flurry of Israeli air raids and Palestinian rocket launches until the last minute, the truce began at 11.30 p.m. local time. According to the Palestinian Health Ministry, 44 Palestinians, including 15 children, were killed and at least 350 civilians wounded during what Israel called a preemptive strike. Meanwhile, Gaza's sole power plant restarted after fuel trucks passed from Israel into the Palestinian enclave. In related news, in New York, at an emergency United Nations Security Council meeting, a Palestinian ambassador echoed the feelings in Gaza that enough is enough. Israel claims for itself a right to security that would seemingly justify murdering, imprisoning, and oppressing an entire nation. It claims a right to security that would trump our right to life, our right to self-determination, our right to be safe in our homes. It claims a right to security that supersedes the UN Charter, international humanitarian law, and human rights law. How many more times will Israel get to justify bombing our people in Gaza until someone says enough is enough? Are you ready to say enough is enough? as the highest authority responsible for the maintenance of international peace and security? How many more years does it get to impose its inhumane blockade on two million people, half of them children, until someone says enough is enough? The Israeli military began the conflict, bombing various locations in Gaza. Israel said it had been retargeting members of the Islamic Jihad, including the group's senior commanders. The fighting was the worst in Gaza since an 11-day war last year that killed at least 250 people in the impoverished coastal enclave and about 13 people in Israel. Sunday's truce was mediated by Egypt with help from the United Nations and Qatar. The Palestinians have demanded the release of several militants being held by Israel, a condition the Israelis deny making. 
And Russia said it was suspending United States on-site inspections under a strategic arms control treaty with Washington, pointing to Western sanctions and coronavirus infections, adding that Moscow remains committed to all provisions of the treaty. The Russian Foreign Ministry said facilities that are subject to inspections under the New START treaty will be temporarily exempt from such inspections. The conflict in Ukraine has raised political tensions to levels not seen since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, with politicians of both Russia and the United States speaking publicly of the risks of World War III. And the threat of nuclear war wasn't far from the mind of UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. He's calling for international inspectors to be given access to the Zaporizhia nuclear plant after Ukraine and Russia traded accusations over the shelling of the facility in recent days. He said all of humankind would suffer. Any attack to a nuclear plant is a suicidal thing, and I hope that uh, those attacks uh, will end. And at the same time, I hope that uh, the IAEA will be able uh, to uh, have access uh, to the plant and uh, to exercise uh, its mandate competencies. I believe this is the moment when the risk of a nuclear confrontation is back, something that we have forgotten for decades. This is the moment, as I said, to ask the nuclear armed countries to commit to the principle of non-first use and to commit to not use and not threaten, as I mentioned, non-nuclear armed countries with full transparency in relation to their arsenals. In related news, Guterres said he's very worried that we might have a prolonged war in Ukraine that could have a very negative impact in the global economy and in the living conditions, especially of the most vulnerable people. Guterres said the United Nations has been working with Turkey on the possibility of starting peace negotiations. He says the impediment is Ukraine's refusal to lose territory and Russia's determination to annex parts of Ukraine. Meanwhile, the former president of Ukraine, Pedro Poroshenko, told Sky News the situation at the nuclear plant is a threat to the world. Look, I think that the whole world should speak loudly and with the, because this uh, situation is a threat to the global security. And if Russia do not expect absolutely clear steps, it would be independent from Ukraine, international peacekeepers who can guarantee the security of the world. This is exactly why we create Security Council of the United Nations. And if Russia do not accept that, we need to introduce new embargo, new sanction. And Russia understand only the language of strength. And the whole world should demonstrate the unity, solidarity, and strength. Petro Poroshenko is the former president of Ukraine. In the most recent attacks on the nuclear facility Saturday night, Ukraine's state nuclear power firm said Russian forces damaged three radiation sensors and wounded a worker with shrapnel. The plant in Russian-controlled territory was also attacked Friday. Moscow has blamed Ukrainian forces for the strikes. After the first attack on Friday, the head of the IAEA said the shelling showed the risk of a nuclear disaster. 
And August 9th marks the 77th anniversary of the nuclear attack on the city of Nagasaki, Japan. It was the third nuke blast, the second to devastate a city. On August 6th, most of Hiroshima had been vaporized. Both bombings killed over 200,000 people. The first bomb, the Trinity Test, was carried out in New Mexico. On July 16, 1945, it was a test bomb. Although no one was directly killed by the blast, the lingering radiation has been linked to cancers and other fatal diseases that struck the isolated community of ranchers and indigenous people. The subsequent mining of uranium in New Mexico has been linked to many illnesses and deaths in the state. The Dine people, known as the Navajo, were among many of the uranium miners who suffered. A DNA anti-nuclear activist, Leona Morgan, joins WBAI from New Mexico. She says her grandmother was one of the victims. I grew up on the Navajo Nation, and uranium mining had pretty much stopped when I was born. I was born in 1981. That's kind of when it petered out. There was a big boom after the Manhattan Project and then the introduction of nuclear energy. At a certain point of time, there were no regulations on the mining the EPA just started in the 70s, but the mining had already been going on for decades. Across the country, there are 15,000 abandoned uranium mines. Some of the worst-case scenarios on Navajo Nation, I'm going to talk specifically about Church Rock community. There was a spill on July 16, 1979 in Church Rock. Just to give an example, the mining company, United Nuclear Corporation, or UNC, is currently owned by General Electric. For years, they had a mine and a mill. This was in a desert location north of the Net community, so very rural, out of sight, out of mind, kind of. When the mining was happening, the local community was employed and not educated on the uh, effects to their health or possible you know, exposure to their families. None of that was explained to them. But they had some jobs for a little while. It still happened in the morning. And get this, it was at 5.30 in the morning on July 16th, about the same time and day as the, the Trinity test, which was um, in 1945. So anyways, uh, fast forward, uh, right now, um, this particular site is owned by General Electric. But for years, United Nuclear owned the site. The community knows, you know, everybody knows about this bill, um, who was alive and, are, you know, myself, of course, I learned about it later, but it was never cleaned up. So the company had to, you know, clean up their little private land. So if you can imagine these imaginary lines on the earth where they, by law, were required to do whatever kind of remediation or whatever. But anything outside of that little imaginary line was really never addressed. Not even a full characterization of that spill, which was about 93 million liquid gallons of radioactive waste and about 1,100 solid tons. All of this escaped. It left the mine site, the mill site. It was the mill waste. There was a big spill that was caused by a breach in the waste cell. The liquid waste was being held with a earthen dam that was already cracked. When the dam breached, the liquid and sludge, it went into a ditch that then went into a dry river. So the Puerco River carried all of that waste up to 100 miles west. Again, in the desert, there was no rain. All of a sudden, the river was full of something. The people didn't know. None of that has ever been fully studied or fully cleaned up. So 1979, fast forward to August 2015, one of the communities along the river had about twice or over twice the legal limit of uranium in their tap water. They were giving out bottled water to the high schools. They told the people, 
don't drink the adults. Don't drink more than a liter of water. That should be fine. Don't make infant formula with this water. Use bottled water. This is incredible that this was the, the notice given to the community. Very similar to Flint in 2015, the community, I'm laughing, but it's a horrible story. The community received this letter, I think it was August 4th, maybe the letter was dated August 4th, when they were informed of this contamination, which many of us in general, I think the community at large, believe the contamination was caused by that 1979 spill. However, the day after the company took some type of, I don't know, responsibility or recognized the problem, the next day was the Gold King Mine spill. So all of the attention went to that. Obviously, it wasn't uranium, it was gold. All these problems from the past compiled with other extractive industry that was before any regulatory anything, any oversight. I mean, there's really not much even today. Morgan says the poisoning by uranium tailings continued to impact indigenous people in western New Mexico. She says corporations like General Electric responsible for some 15,000 abandoned uranium mines in the United States still dodge their obligation to pay for the cleanup, especially after a massive uranium tailings spill in Church Rock on July 16, 1979, the anniversary of the first atomic bomb test. A lot of those companies just abandoned these mines and they got away you know, without having to deal with cleanup, the costs, or any accountability. And so some of the companies that might have any ties today that can be held responsible, they're called PRPs or potentially responsible parties. So like General Electric, if General Electric can pay a little bit for some cleanup, they're held accountable. But for all the other 15,000 abandoned mines or the hundreds of mines that don't have any PRPs, there's nothing that can be done. So the government is basically trying to sue companies for pennies to do really low-quality cleanup. When the government gives trillions to make more of the mess through its military or energy industries, the nuclear military complex, the uh, nuclear power bailouts, recently from the, the last bill that just went through Congress. There's so many bailouts and the cost of nuclear is incredible and they don't put the same investment into the cleanup or the health care and the health impacts. So yeah, we're dealing with it today. There is a study that was done very recently called the Navajo Birth Cohort Study where they found uranium in the urine of newborn infants. Today, the impacts are not fully studied and people think it's history, it's in the past, and, and now we have these ideas like back then. It's all propaganda that the government pushed these things to go forward in secret without exposing the truth about the costs. So mm-hmm. back then it was atoms for peace. Now it's atoms for climate. And then the, the Russia situation did not help things either. Really? Russia? Oh, because of the war in Ukraine? In the United States, uranium is not like the big ticket item when it comes to the nuclear fuel chain or the nuclear industrial complex. Our uranium, I don't think, is as sought after as uranium from Saskatchewan or or Australia. It needs some kind of push for uranium in the United States to look attractive to investors. So when you take away the source that we've been getting uranium from, which is Russia, we've been using their 
down blended weapons. Now, an artificial demand for new uranium that is pushing up the, the price on the spot market, as well as getting companies excited to mine again. Not like the 2006-2007 increase when the price of uranium went really high. The actual demand for uranium, I don't think there's really any. Do we really need weapons? Nuclear energy only supplies, they say, about 20% of electricity. If everyone just turned off 20% of their lights or whatever, we wouldn't need it. It's negligible. We don't need nuclear energy. We don't need nuclear weapons. The demand, the price per pound, it's all artificial. It's created by the United States wanting to make weapons or companies. Now we have this thing, small modular reactors. All of it is driving the market right now where communities like on the Navajo Nation, all over the world, whenever there's something like this that happens, we are constantly going to be threatened by new mining. It's like this hovering black cloud, not just health effects, but long-lasting environmental radioactive contamination into the future. What are some of the health effects that you've uh, people have observed in the Diné lands? There's this thing called the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. If folks want to look into that, it lists some of the illnesses that are actually compensated for. I can say anecdotally from my family who have already passed away, we can only attribute cancer, kidney disease, and some of these health effects to uranium mining. It's really hard to prove, but there are newer health studies that do connect some of the impacts from the past mining. A lot of it is contamination to water and food sources. Everybody knows about breathing in radon gas. Lung cancer, that was the one I believe that got my grandmother, which inspired me to get involved in the fight. Lots of cancers, a lot of miscarriages and problems with babies. And there was a lot of data that was hidden. So like the Tularosa Basin Downwinders Consortium, it's a group that is led by Tina Cordova. They worked with a lot of different people to expose how the New Mexico State um, Department of Health withheld information, public medical records of like increased infant mortality that occurred within the plume area of the Trinity test. So this is not on, on Diné lands, but this is in New Mexico, where there were a lot of miscarriages and stillbirths mm-hmm. that were documented, but the information, the data was concealed until recently. So yeah, there's a lot of information we don't know, but most people, I would say in New Mexico, have family, relatives that have been impacted, not just by the mining, but we also have Los Alamos National Labs. So I mentioned the Trinity test, but we have Los Alamos National Labs. We have so many sites in New Mexico, but it would take a while to list them all. And It's not just a pass, this is an ongoing problem. Right. It's a permanent problem. When we're dealing with radioactive contamination, it's a long-lived reality. We already are living it. We have experienced it. Our family members have died, suffered. Now, I'm from a newer generation. Like, there was no mining. I don't know. My friends didn't work in a mine. But the older generation has so many stories of people they lost and just horror stories. And so that's something we keep trying to tell NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, because right now there's a proposal to bring all of the waste from all of the nuclear power plants in the country to New Mexico. 
And so we're saying, no, we have already dealt with this. We lived it. We're still dealing with it. We haven't gotten cleanup. And then we're getting dumped on again. DNA anti-nuclear activist Leona Morgan joins WBAI from New Mexico. The Navajo Nation filed a lawsuit seeking $12.5 million from United Nuclear Corp. on behalf of 125 Arizona and New Mexico Navajo families for damages they say resulted from the spilling of radioactive water in the Porco River in July 1979. In more national news, at the Pentagon today, Under Secretary of Defense Colin Cole said Russia is suffering catastrophic losses in its war with Ukraine. There's a lot of fog in war, but, you know, I think it's safe to suggest that the Russians have probably taken 70 or 80,000 casualties in less than six months. Now, that is a combination of killed in action and wounded in action, and that number might be a little lower, a little higher, but I think that's kind of in the ballpark. Uh, They have made some incremental gains in the East, although not very much in the last couple weeks, but that has come at extraordinary cost. Both sides are taking uh, casualties. The war is the most intense conventional conflict in Europe, uh, since the Second World War, but the Ukrainians have a lot of advantages. Meanwhile, Kyiv has reported 10,000 of its soldiers killed and 30,000 wounded since the fighting began. You're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo. On August 8, 1974, President Richard M. Nixon became the first president in United States history to resign from office. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. Facing certain impeachment and removal from office due to his role in the Watergate scandal, that was the 1972 break-in of the Democratic National Headquarters in the Watergate apartment complex in Washington, D.C., carried out by members of Nixon's campaign and CIA officials. On August 9th, Nixon submitted a signed letter of resignation to Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. The resignation came three days after the White House released taped Oval Office conversations showing Nixon had approved the break-in. In his speech, Nixon emphasized, I've never been a quitter. No other president has resigned since. Former President Donald Trump was impeached twice by the House, but never convicted by the Senate. In his speech at a conservative event in Texas, President Trump blasted the committee investigating his role in the attack on the Capitol led by his supporters on January 6, 2021. He said the assault would never have happened if his orders to call in the National Guard had been followed. Very much like on January 6, where I offered Nancy Pelosi and the mayor of D.C. from 10 to 20,000 troops because I thought the crowd was going to be very, very large coming in because I felt it. You could see it. And they turned it down. And if they didn't turn it down, and Cash Patel is a witness, right? I think you can, I can say you're a witness. But we have many other witnesses to that. From 10 to 20,000, they turned it down. And had they not turned it down, you wouldn't have had January 6th as we know it. The January 6th committee hearings have determined that Trump wanted the guard not to quell the riot, but provide extra protection for the rioters during their assault on the Capitol. Law enforcement reportedly rejected the idea to avoid the image of armed soldiers surrounding the building as the electoral votes were ceremoniously counted. In another speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Dallas, former Trump aide Steve Bannon announced to the cheering crowd of right-wingers, we are at war. He went on to call President Biden illegitimate and said the 2020 election was stolen. The easiest victories we've had are behind us. The easiest things we've done are behind us. They are going to come after you like they came after Kerry Lake and they came after Mike Lindell. Okay? If you are at the forefront of this movement, 
Look at what they're doing to President Trump. They understand they can't beat him at the ballot box. They can't beat his energy. They can't beat his vision. They're coming after him with a death by a thousand cuts legally, right? They're trying to put him in jail to make sure he cannot run again in 2024 and be the rightful president he should be right now. Speaking on the Tucker Carlson show Tuesday night, Bannon doubled down, claiming the FBI raid on mar lago was motivated to stop Trump from running for president again. Closer to home. A charter bus of migrants sent from Texas to New York City by Governor Greg Abbott arrived yesterday at the Port Authority after a 44-hour trip from the southern border. Do you know why you're here? Very good, very good. No English, Spanish. Spanish. Was it your choice to come to New York? New York City Mayor Eric Adams blasted Abbott after the bus, the second bus sent in the feud between the New York mayor and Texas governor, arrived. The governor of uh, Texas has made it clear what we always knew he was doing, he finally acknowledged he is shipping people who have traveled for months, packing them on buses, and sending them to New York. Uh, our um, our uh, social services agency will give you the exact amount, but we're talking about thousands uh, that are here and that we're providing services uh, for. Uh, what's, what also was extremely revealing yesterday is that there were some who wanted to go to other cities where they have families, and they just packed them on a bus without any direction. And we learned that many people had to be reticketed. They wanted to go somewhere else, uh, but they just specifically targeted New York, they being the governor of Texas. Adams says he estimated Texas has sent 4,000 migrants to New York City, which Governor Abbott refers to as a sanctuary city. Adams adds some of the migrants were forced on buses in Texas. Meanwhile, in New York City, cab drivers say they're offering free rides to migrants looking for friends and relatives in New York. And finally, Senate Democrats successfully passed a major budget bill that includes massive investment to slow climate change and new health care and tax policies. The Senate is making history, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said after the vote. He had arrived at the chambers in his lucky suit. This is my lucky blue suit. I brought it in yesterday morning, but I didn't want to jinx it and wear it. And so, uh, but I wear it on good luck days, and I had a feeling I'd be wearing it. Here it is. Thank you. Known as the Inflation Reduction Act, the bill is a landmark achievement for Democrats and a central piece of President Joe Biden's policy agenda. The bill is expected to include over $400 billion in spending and to bring in tens of billions more in revenue. The next step is a vote in the House of Representatives. And that's some of the news in exile for Monday, August 8, 2022. The news is produced, directed, and recorded by myself, Paul DiRienzo. For the news in exile, you can follow the news at pauldirienzo.com.